Hey there, it's Carrie here from Wrap Your Head Around Silks. Welcome to the Expecting Aerialist podcast. My experience with postpartum anxiety disorder all started because my precious little girl just wouldn't sleep the way everyone said she should, which is perfectly tightly swaddled in her crib, face up like a little perfect angel. All the advice out there on the internet says that, and it was also reinforced Hi. Reinforced by our pediatrician who said, you know, there's this thing called SIDS, and I'd never heard of that before. It's sudden infant death syndrome. And I read about it. And after that, I was just gripped with fear that she would suffocate in her sleep because of something that I did. Because she, in those first weeks, never slept the way a baby is, quote unquote, safely supposed to sleep. And it would turn out that she would never sleep like that. From the moment she was born, she wanted to be touching one of us, me or her daddy. Yeah, what do you have to say? <laughs> we tried everything, baby loungers, swings, um, everything, um, and nothing helped. And they say not to let a baby fall asleep in the baby lounger or the swing or on the couch or in an armchair on you, on your chest. It's all a no-no, but our girl never would sleep the way she was supposed to. By the time our daughter was six weeks old, the sleep deprivation had just piled up. I was having anxiety attacks, waking up in panic attacks, and it was just unrelentless because I was never getting enough sleep. And sleep deprivation is a big part of perinatal mood disorders. To add to this perfect storm, it was October, November, December. Even though I'm here in LA, it was rainy and cold. My partner and I at the time lived in two separate apartments. We had not yet moved in together and we were hustling between two different households, driving back and forth, bringing all of our you know, baby supplies. And my partner was really busy at work. And both of us were barely sleeping. Sometimes he wouldn't sleep at all because he would take the night shift just to give me a couple hours of sleep before going to work and before I needed to take care of her for the entire day. She also had diaper rash early on and... She had issues with some acid reflux, which is really common with babies, but poor thing was struggling with that a little bit, which didn't help her sleep either. So nobody really was really sleeping well in the household. I was really struggling, but I didn't know to, to talk to my doctor. I just thought, wow, this is really hard. So... She had a pediatrician appointment, and I decided to talk to my doctor, who was in the same office as her pediatrician, 
and you know just to talk to her about how how I was feeling and she said well baby blues are maybe two three weeks after the baby is born you're well past that we need to start talking about this more seriously and so she asked me to go talk to my talk therapist my psychologist I did that and then ended up realizing yes I do have a perinatal anxiety disorder and we need to treat it So one big help during that entire phase was my friend Jacqueline, who is a social worker and a perinatal mood disorder specialist, and she's also my silk student, and she really helped me understand what was happening, and I have her here today to talk about all the different types of mood disorders that women can suffer from after having a baby. And kind of bring light to it because, you know, sometimes these things can go misdiagnosed or undiagnosed and really put the woman in a really difficult place because being a mom the first six months to a year of your baby's life is hard enough. And then you add to that, you know, anxiety disorder, depression, um lots of different types of variations of of perinatal disorders so i'm really excited to have jacqueline here today to go in depth and talk more about it and um i hope you guys really gain some benefit from it and can walk away with a lot of new information hello jacqueline welcome to the podcast hello thank you for having me so excited My friend and student, Jacqueline, I've been teaching her for many years on silks. And um, in the years that I've known her, she's went from graduating from school, doing her hours to become a social worker and going through the education to be able to treat um, PMAD, perinatal (laughs) mood and anxiety disorders that is a mouthful mouthful. yes it is mouthful um and i've just been able to watch her grow in her in her career and her practice and it's been like pretty awesome to be able to watch that it's been many years now and she's uh she's she's killing it so i've invited her to be on the podcast because she has really really gone into this stuff in a way that is just going to be so helpful for the listeners for this podcast to really understand the, the scope of these disorders. Because before I realized that I had postpartum anxiety disorder, I didn't realize that there are all these different types. I thought it was just, I thought it was just PPD. You know, I thought it was just postpartum depression, but it's, it's it's more than that and it's um it's really interesting. So the first question is can you just define PMAD for us and tell us from the clinical standpoint what it is and all the different types? Yeah, so it's a really big umbrella term and you know as you said most people think about what can happen um after birth as 
postpartum depression. That's sort of all they think about. But they've actually, they being researchers and other professionals, have realized that it's actually an umbrella sort of term um, for other things that can come up. So they've shifted the language. So instead of postpartum depression, it's PMAD, which is perinatal mood anxiety disorders. And they've shifted a couple of things in it. So not only is it not only depression, it's anxiety, it's panic, it's OCD, it's bipolar disorder, PTSD, psychosis, all sort of relating to birth and pregnancy. And then the other big piece that they shifted was a shift away from just the postpartum period and realizing that these things can come up during pregnancy as well. So they have the peri- oh, so perinatal is basically means from pregnancy to one year after birth. Um, it includes the pregnancy period and the postpartum period. So these things can arise early on, um, but you know, the postpartum period is also very sensitive. You know, I didn't really think about it that way. And even though mine felt like it got worse as my sleep deprivation got worse, I definitely was having anxiety before the baby was born. And I think Mm -hmm. that's very common because it's most of us who have such um, control issues, you can't control especially the last trimester of your pregnancy. And that's really hard on the, on somebody like me. There's a lot of um, things that come up with control. I mean, there's this with anxiety, especially a a big thing that we see with, you know, new parents and, and birthing parents is this is a planning and control thing, especially with anxiety, with OCD, Um, you know, that comes up a lot with this idea of control. Um, and then you also get this, the fantasies that come up when you're pregnant, like, what's it going to be like? And am I going to, all of a sudden, I'm not going to be my own person anymore. I'm going to have a baby that is going to be with me all the time. And, you know, I have to, I'm going to, they're going to be reliant on me. So there's this complete sort of lack of control that you have um, and thinking about what that's going to be like and how it's going to change your life. It's huge. So it can come up, you know, as soon as you find out you're pregnant. Wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. Can you, okay. If you had a woman who came in and wanted to talk to you and she had a series of symptoms, could you kind of explain, okay, you think this person has OCD version or anxiety? Like what are the hallmark the hallmark symptoms with each of those and how would you know that you have one but not the other? Sure. Well, I'll start with depression because I think that's what most people think about. Um, And usually I think the stereotypical idea of what depression looks like is, you know, tearful, they can't get out of bed, you know, there may be some suicidal ideation, um, But it can, in pregnancy, it can look like feeling overwhelmed, feeling a lack of connection with the baby, difficulty taking care of yourself. So if you're seeing a lack of hygiene or like a hard time taking a shower, which I know is hard with a new baby anyways, there's some, some things Mm -hmm. that slide, but just not eating well, not, not trying to do some of those self-care things, um, that can come up. And then rage is huge. 
like irritability, feeling angry all the time, snappy, volatile. So that can come up and it would be something that if someone is telling me that they're feeling really irritated all the time, I would explore that a little more. Um, And you've mentioned sleep a few times um, and sleep Mm -hmm. is pretty, I mean, sleep impairment is pretty consistent in in everything I would look for. Um, That's also one of the first things I would assess is what does sleep look like in a 24 hour period? Are you getting sleep? Are you able to fall asleep? Do you feel rested after you wake up from sleep? Um, You know, there's normal fatigue when you have a new baby and there's also sleep impairments when you know, you're pregnant because your body's changing and you're getting heartburn and your bladder's being pressed and your body's changing. So there's some normal Mm -hmm. sleep deprivation. But if you're able to sort of take a nap and then feel refreshed after, that's a sign of, you know, more health. But if you are taking a nap and it's just not working and you're feeling fatigued all the time, that would be something more concerning, we would want to look at that a little bit more. And that's one of the things that you saw with me. Yes. When I was in the midst of it. Yeah, was this fatigue, but when you go to sleep, you're restless and you can't fall asleep. And then when you do take a nap, you wake up and you're just still so tired. Um, And that's, you know, that can come along with anxiety. You know, that's a lot of worries. Um, you know, as you said, planning and control stuff comes up, irritability comes up with anxiety. And something that you and I had talked about when I was with you during that time was um, just feeling desperate for help. But then when help came, it didn't feel relieving to you. Yes. Yes. Um, You would come over and just hold the baby and let me sleep for an hour or two. And I remember one time so... I was laying in that bed for two hours and I could not fall asleep. And the, it, I was panicked as the minutes ticked because I was like, okay, now I only have 90 minutes. Now I only have an hour. Mm-hmm. Now I only have 45 minutes. The help that I wanted so bad is going to go away soon. And I didn't get anything I needed out of this because I'm just laying here. Yeah. So you weren't even able to refresh or to take the time when you had it. Um, so that would, you know, if, if a mom came in or, you know, any other sort of birthing parent came in and told me that, then I, you know, I would try to explore more about what's going on. Yeah. Oh, it brings me back. Yes. Doesn't it? <laughs> and then you mentioned panic too. Panic is, uh, panic comes up a lot, um, as well. You know, it's interesting for something that's so common. Um, you know, it's only talked about, you know, so just in such a small window, but, you know, perinatal mood disorders, like anxiety and depression is like 21% of parents when they have a, a child. It's like the number one complication. I say complication, but it's the number one complication after birth. And there's like, it's not really screened that well. And, right. you know, again, people don't know that it can look like anxiety or panic or, you know, things like that. So, um, well, after wired. having my, my baby, what was so enlightening and not a positive way for me is the lack of 
of required medical care for the mom after the baby's born. Like yeah. basically you go in to make sure your body's not infected. Yep. <laughs> and that's it. There's no pelvic floor checkup. No. There's there's no PT. There's no mental health. There's nothing. So you're just Yeah. And that- I'm lucky because I have resources, but if you don't have the resources to even talk about these things, mm-hmm. how would you even know what's going on? Right. And, and a big concern that new parents have is that if they say some of the worries that they're having is that their baby will get taken away or they'll get hospitalized because some of the fears and the worries that come up are serious. Um, right. And like OCD, for instance. So actually perinatal women are two times greater risk for getting for an OCD onset than the general population. So, um, and that, you know, I, it's not just, you know, cleaning or like clicking lights on and on, you know, what happens is you get OCD is obsessive compulsive disorder and the obsessions come in like intrusive thoughts and in pregnancy and postpartum, the themes that kind of come up are, you know, these intrusive thoughts about harm to the baby. So you might, uh, someone with OCD might have this thought that just pops into their head about harm to the baby, either accidental harm or like deliberate harm. They're worried that as a parent, they'll hurt the baby. And so, you know, what we talk to parents about is that thought doesn't necessarily mean action. And if that thought has popped up, please communicate it to your healthcare provider so that they can get you some help. Um, Because it doesn't, just because that thought popped in doesn't mean that you're going to hurt your baby. With OCD, the thoughts that come into your mind, the intrusive thoughts are very disturbing to to mothers um, or to the parent because they don't want to hurt their baby. You know, it's horrifying to them that this thought popped into their mind. So it causes a lot of distress. And that's where you get some of the compulsions come in. You know, someone might have an intrusive thought about maybe accidentally dropping their baby down the stairs while carrying them. And so then they'll just mm-hmm. never take the stairs or they're concerned about contamination. So they'll like excessively clean breast pumps or, ex- you know, use like really hot water to wash hands. Like a lot of, that's where a lot of the cleaning stuff can come in. Um, but that's where you'll get a lot of controlling behaviors too. Uh, there's a really high frequency of controlling behaviors in OCD. Jacqueline, you had said that bipolar is a facet of this too. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. Um, actually 50% of women with bipolar disorder were first diagnosed in pregnancy. So, um, it, pops up. Um, and yeah, it's something else that happens is it's often, um, it can be misdiagnosed for depression, uh, as just unilateral depression. So bipolar disorder is defined as having a manic episode or hypomanic episode. Hypomanic is just like a lesser form of a, of mania. Uh, and, oh, I hear, I hear babe in the background. <laughs> She is, um, she's responding to you. Oh, look at that. She must, she must remember my voice. She hears me. Yes. I know. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's, um, you have to be careful with bipolar disorder because that does require, it's a, it requires medication management for it. And it is, um, a long-term, it's a chronic diagnosis. So, um, what um, I was saying about it being misdiagnosed as um, depression is what can happen sometimes is someone will come in and say that they're having, it'll look like a depressed, a depression and someone will maybe give them an antidepressant, an SSRI, which is the most common. Um, but SSRIs actually start, um, they can trigger mania cycles. So, they'll think that they had depression and then they'll take an SSRI and then all of a sudden cycle into mania. And that's how they find out that they're having, that they're actually bipolar and not just depressed. And SS, say it again. SSRI is. The, What's an example of that? Is it Zoloft? Yeah. An SSRI? Okay. Wait, before, so a very, before we go back to that, let me, yeah, like Zoloft, Prozac, And those drugs are, okay, so I know this term. What is it called? It's an inhibitor, right? It, it inhibits it's a, the serotonin from it's a selective, getting taken out. Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor is what SSRI stands for. I am not a psychiatrist, so I cannot tell you the uh, exact chemistry behind it. Um, but that's a class of medication that is often prescribed for depression. And then okay. mood stabilizers are, are prescribed for bipolar disorder. Um, and this is something like it's could be a whole topic in itself is medication use while pregnant. Um, so, you know, some people have very strong opinions about it. Okay. The research that they have is not necessarily the cleanest studies, um, because you can't do studies on pregnant women. So it's, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, they're, they have found things to be safe and they're, you know, constantly researching these things, but there is, there are perinatal psychiatrists. There are psychiatrists who specialize in medication during pregnancy and postpartum who know what medications have safe interactions, um, you know, for breastfeeding and for pregnancy. And really the, the big issue that, you know, people worry about is, is it going to impact the health of the baby? Uh, but what we've also found is that untreated disorders impact the health of the baby as well. So, right. Um, it's, it's important to get it addressed. Um, and some of these things like OCD, bipolar disorder, psychosis, you know, they can result in some pretty serious consequences. So, it's important to get those checked out. So you said psychosis is the last type that um, we should discuss. Please, yes. please tell me about There's that. There's also PTSD, but it's we can talk about that ah, kind okay. of, you know, a little later. But psychosis is clearly the most rare of of the things that happen. But it's about one to two out of a thousand people um, can get postpartum psychosis. And that one, um, a lot of people who 
are having their first onsets of OCD, these intrusive thoughts, they worry that they are going crazy or that they are having a psychotic episode, but they are different. So someone who has psychosis doesn't have any insight that anything is wrong. Um, And they don't see their actions as being unhealthy. So they might have these thoughts like my baby is a demon or, you know, some, some type of delusion or, or hallucination that comes up, but they, it seems normal to them. Um, So just for people who are concerned about OCD, if there are intrusive thoughts and it's disturbing to you and, you're feeling like something's wrong, it's probably not psychosis because the insight there, it it isn't there for psychosis. I see. Yeah. Okay. That's so interesting. Yeah. And then um, bipolar disorder with like mania can have a history, can have some psychotic symptoms. So that's why bipolar disorder and psychosis, those really call for like, you need to go to your doctor immediately if you're having a psychotic episode um i mean that needs to be that needs to be addressed like go to a hospital and get that checked out because it can result in you know suicide infanticide like bad things so um you know health for health for mom and baby is very important with those so one of the things that i didn't know before i went to my doctor was that the baby blues and potential postpartum mood disorder are the timings are different. Can you talk about how, you know, you either have the baby blues or you have something more serious going on? Yes, they are different. So baby blues occurs in about 80% of new mothers. It's very common and it is related to hormonal fluctuations. There's a, a drop in hormones three to five days after birth and that's typically when you see a peak in the baby blues. So usually baby blues, you get, you know, it's more like a mood swing. So they might experience some mood swings or some weepiness. Um, you know, they might feel sensitive to things. Uh, but it's a normal adjustment period. So even though they'll feel weepy overall, it doesn't, they'll feel good. You know, they might feel some normal worry about the baby. Like, they're excited to, like, for the baby, they're normally worried, but they're not feeling too overwhelmed. Self-esteem is unchanged, so they still feel pretty good about themselves. And sleep is okay. Oh, you know, relatively speaking, you have a newborn, um, Right, right. So, but it means like you can fall asleep. You can feel, again, that that idea of feeling rested. If you take a nap and wake up, you're like, oh, okay, I needed that. And now I'm good to go. And you can still feel, you know, joy and and happiness. So that would be a typical baby blues. Um, Where it's something more is, oh, also forgot to say, um, it's two to three weeks. Anything outside of that window is not baby blues. Okay, that's really a great marker yeah. to know. Yeah, two to three weeks. If you're having some weepiness, if you're feeling extra sensitive, um, 
you know, there's been a drop in your hormones and it's baby blues. If, but overall, you're feeling okay um, and you're happy with the baby and you're able to get some rest and you're feeling some joy, baby blues. If you're outside of that window and you're feeling things like low self-esteem, if you're feeling guilt, if rage or irritability is coming up, um, you noticed the sleep issue pretty significantly. So if you're having sleep, if anyone's having sleep like you had, where you're not able to get to sleep or you're, you're having some racing thoughts while you're going to sleep, that's not baby blues. You know, when I was going through that about six, seven, eight weeks in, I, the, the scariest moment was I was so sleep deprived and having panic attacks when I was waking up and then having anxiety as I was falling asleep at the worst moment of it, I thought to myself, I'm not capable of this. And I've, yeah, I mean, me and my students joke around all the time that I'm like, overly confident generally mm-hmm. <laughs> like that is a very that is so outside of my wheelhouse of feeling that way and it was really scary because not only did I feel incapable at the moment you know I've got this little perfect little precious thing and her life is in my hands yeah and for me the whole idea of sids sudden infant death syndrome was the driving force to my anxiety yes you know it of course it's a new baby right sids is something that is talked about all the time and people are you, you know you don't you want to make sure it doesn't happen you want to protect this precious thing and so it's of course there would be worries about it Right. And for someone who already had a history of anxiety. Right. Right. You know, unfortunately, the I, worries I about it became unmanageable. Exactly. My my psychologist had said to me, um, she had said to me, you know, during the pregnancy, you probably got a boost of the pregnancy hormone. And that's why you felt like you didn't need. Zoloft anymore because I I had decided early in the pregnancy that I didn't want to be on any prescription medication that I didn't need to be on. And so I had been on the Zoloft ever since I had gotten divorced because my lifelong anxiety issues had just spiked. Mm -hmm. But I had been on it for a couple years and I felt great. And, you know, my psychologist had said, you know, you probably had that bump in your hormones because you're pregnant. And then as soon as the baby came out, those, those hormones changed drastically Mm -hmm. as you had just talked about. And then I found, find myself, you know, back into my, you know, that, that old problem, but then on steroids, you know, like so much worse because you add in the sleep deprivation, Mm -hmm. you add in the fact that now I'm trying to protect this little thing and I've never done this before. So Mm -hmm. I, I I did. I felt incapable for a very short window of time there. The what really saved me was the timing of it. I just happened to schedule my parents to come visit to help me out. Mm-hmm. And they were here for two weeks. And I think about my friends who are having babies during COVID. They most of them don't have the luxury of having friends drop by with takeout yeah. and the parents coming in for a week just to cook and make sure that you're getting sleep. Because if it wasn't for my parents coming to visit me right at that moment, basically I, I, I was able to 
take a three hour, like basically a like melatonin and take a huge nap every single day because my mom was basically taking care of her. Mm -hmm. The pandemic has been very difficult. Um, you know, I mean, obviously for everyone, but with pregnancy, I mean, they say, you know, one of the big protective factors for, for this in terms of treatment and things like that is social groups, um, and, and social interactions and, you know, the term it takes a village is really true. I mean, there's just only so much you can do by yourself and support is really needed. And so, you know, COVID has really taken a toll. And then, you know, it also has impacted how people are giving birth. You know, are you what kind of support person you're allowed to have in the hospital with you or wherever you're giving birth? You know, the people who were hiring doulas or postpartum doulas, that was impacted. Um, you know, some hospitals have different rules about who can come in and who can't, um, you know, even with the partner, too. So, you know, it's a really big hurdle to overcome for people who are pregnant now. Yeah. And my heart just goes out to the women who are, you know, just so isolated, you know, yeah, isolated when you have in the first, you know, six months of the baby's life, it's really hard. I was, I was lucky that she was born six months before the pandemic started mm-hmm. because that really important time I could just call you and have you come over in, in 30 minutes if I really was struggling. So I was lucky for that. And even with that, I considered that two and a half month period, the hardest Mm -hmm. time of my life up to date. And I had gone through, you know, breaking my leg in half and, and not being able to walk. Like I've gone through stuff and I still considered that postpartum anxiety disorder, the hardest thing that I've gone through because Mental stuff, to me, mental stuff is just harder than the physical stuff. Well, this takes a toll on you mentally in so many different ways. And also physically. I mean, your body has gone through so much. Um, it, it's it's a lot. I mean, there's hormonal changes. There's, you know, if you're choosing to breastfeed and all of the issues that come up with, with breastfeeding, if it's not, you know, super easy, there's, you know when the recovery, depending on your birth, the actual, you know, birth itself, you know, it's just, it's a lot. And then sleep and diet and everything gets thrown out of whack. So it's, um, you know, it's not easy by any means. And then as you mentioned, you know, there's, you, you don't have a lot of appointments that are scheduled for you you know, the birthing parent after it's all about, is the baby okay? And, you know, a lot of something that I hear pretty frequently is people will go through things or have a tough birth and they'll say, well, at least your baby, you have a healthy baby. It was all worth it for a healthy baby. And yes, but not at least, you know, you're, you're forgetting the mother gets neglected. (laughs) And yeah. Yeah. And I had a, a, like, the birth of my child was not something that I want to remember. <laughs> like it was a traumatic event to me because it not only did it not go smoothly, it was, it was just, you know, 30 hours that I wish I just completely canceled and got a C-section. 
right. <laughs> plan C-section. Right. So can you talk a little bit about birth trauma and how that can affect these these disorders? Yeah. So, you know, this is getting into like you can get postpartum PTSD from things like this. You know, what what they would consider a birth trauma is if serious injury has occurred or a near death experience has has occurred to the mother during birth. But what also factors in is what was the mother's ex- I'll say birthing person's experience in the process, um, you know, did it feel traumatic to her? You know, there's the coming in with a birth plan, right? People think that, you know, they have sort of this idea of what it's going to be like, and it doesn't always go to plan. And it really depends on, you know, your midwife, your OB, the the nursing staff, you know, whoever is, is a part of that process. Um, you know, mothers can feel abandoned. They can feel invisible, like stripped of dignity. You know, I've heard, of, you know, so many accounts of, you know, if people are at a teaching hospital, they just have medical, you know, they just have students in watching, which, you know, some people might be okay with, but some people might feel, you know, really intruded upon, and there can be a complete lack of trust in the system and the team, not to mention if there's any sort of systemic racism going on, you know, that that comes up a lot, too. Um, but the experience of the birth then impact can impact recovery and you can get some PTSD symptoms from it. Yes, I can even imagine like mine was. I want to say traumatic to me, but I, I feel like I've heard a million stories mm-hmm. like like that. Even in my small friend group, um, there weren't a lot of positive. Like it went great, you know. Yeah. Th- that's not. There's not a lot of that happening. So, okay. So let's go to the to to the other side of this, which is um, I know for me, the identity issue was another huge challenge. Mm -hmm. The idea in my pregnancy that I was no longer an athlete. And then, you know, I was going from not being a mom to being a mom and how that aerialist thing comes in there. I know that you're not a professional aerialist, but you have been training for quite a long time with me. Um, Talk a little bit about this identity switch and how it can be really tough on somebody so so active. Sure. Um, so there's a huge identity shift that happens within pregnancy. And, you know, what can happen is you're, you have who you are as an individual, you know, you may have figured out or not, you know, who, who you, what your identity is as a, as an individual person. And then, you know, maybe you have a partner, maybe you don't, but you figure out what your identity is within that. And then you become pregnant. And there's this idea about what am I going to be not as an individual anymore, but as it expands to who am I as a as a person? Who am I as a parent? Who am I as a partner? If that's your family situation, you know, there's just this big expanse. And, you know, perinatal mood disorders can impact fathers as well or partners. And the identity piece is huge. You know, who am I? Like, am I still as important to my partner as, you know, I once was now that the baby's here? 
you know, that can come up too. And what's it like to be, you know, a dad or, you know, I didn't give birth to this, but there's also, I think as an aerialist and being, it's such a, an art where you're so attuned to your body and in pregnancy, all of that gets thrown out of whack. You know, your hips loosen and your whole organs shift around and um, you had to be on bed rest for some time. And so, you know, the muscles, those transverse abdominal muscles that are so important, you know, in pregnancy, they open. Mm -hmm. And, and so, yes, they do. Yeah, they, really, <laughs> they open right up. And so fine when you're pregnant, but then once you have the baby, it's okay. I have to like actually put myself back together again, you know, physically and emotionally. So, you know, for you, you know, I, I like this idea of like, am I an athlete? Um, I didn't know that you were feeling that throughout your pregnancy, but it makes sense to me that you were because you weren't able to train in the way that you were. You weren't, your body had been taken over by someone else. It was not in your control. Yeah, so I did feel like I'm not an athlete right now, but it wasn't also for me a very deep it, it, it wasn't a very deep feeling because I knew it was very, it felt, it, it was, it felt temporary. Mm -hmm. It felt temporary, but yeah, I, I was on pelvic rest and I was not allowed to do anything. And that was just such a, such a change for me, but I do have to say, and Sarah and I spoke about this on the last podcast. I think the reason why her and I had a different experience with that is because both of us have suffered huge accidents before mm -hmm. where we were taken out, but then we got back in. And so that feeling of confidence that we'd get back to it was pretty high for both of us. Yeah. That other, yeah. The, for other women who may be having their first kid is their first time where their body's taken out of Ariel and they have to come back to it. There definitely might be a moment where, they're like, am I going to go back to this question mark? You know, even after the pandemic started, I had a lot of students who were asking that same thing. And it's not the same problem. It's not the same issue because your body isn't changing. Yeah. But it is it is like, you know, what if I don't get back into it the way I was before? There's still that question that I, a lot of my students have. Jacqueline, thank you so much for your knowledge and sharing it with us. If, of course. Yeah. I, if you could tell women where to look for help, if they're listening to this and thinking, wow, that sounds like me, where can they go wherever they live in the world for as a resource? Well, um, I think that uh, a great resource is an organization called Postpartum Support International. It's actually where I did my training to become a perinatal mental health specialist. And as you can tell from the name, they are international. Um, it's a great, great resource for many reasons. Um, one, they have online support groups for free. Um for a range of specific groups. So whether it's infant loss groups, you know, 
perinatal mood issues, if it's like adoptive parents, military parents, um, there, there's a whole slew of them. Um, but they have free support groups, which is great. Um, they also have a listserv of therapists and providers who have been certified as perinatal mental health specialists. So if you feel like you are having a perinatal specific issue and you're wanting some support with that, they have a good list. Um, and they are located, you know, everywhere. So you can find someone in your area if you're in Los Angeles, uh, which is where we are, there's Maternal Mental Health Now. And Maternal Mental Health Now also has um, resources where you can look for providers who do that type of work. Um, and then I would also, you know, recommend like doula support is can be great, both bir- birthing doulas and postpartum doulas. You know, if you have lactation specialists, if you're having any kind of breastfeeding, you know, issues, which, you know, does come up, um, infant mental health specialists, that's a thing as well. Um, and that's great because it works on attachment stuff with the baby and they're knowledgeable about perinatal issues as well. Um, and then, you know, of course, you can always talk to your doctor and see if they have any referrals in your area. So for people who are concerned about medication during pregnancy, um, one, Postpartum Support International has a line where your doctor can call them if they have any questions about medication during pregnancy. They have a line just for, it's a, it connects them to a perinatal psychiatrist who's trained in it so that your doctor can actually get some consultation on that, which is great. And then there's also a group called Infant Risk. And Infant Risk does a whole bunch of research on medication use in pregnancy and breastfeeding. And there's a book called Medication and Mother's Milk by Thomas Hale. And that is pretty thorough in terms of questions about medication. Amazing. These are great resources. I didn't realize there were so many great resources. There's a lot out there. And I bear so many this more. This is wonderful. This is wonderful to bring it to light because not only the conversation is not happening a lot of the time, but the resources are also not getting passed around because the conversations aren't necessarily happening. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully, even if this just helps one woman, then we've done our job, right? Yes. Definitely. Yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. And Jacqueline, I will see you in the air very soon. Yes, you will. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to wrap up today's podcast talking about the change of identity for us aerialists as we get pregnant and have our babies. For me, I experienced it in two different ways, as a dancer and an aerialist. As a dancer, it might seem seem kind of superficial, but the questions that went through my mind were, how would I look? What would my skin look like? How would my body change and would it be irreversible? And as an aerialist, the question was all those things plus would my strength change in a way that I could not get it back? I wondered this. And then as an artist, how would my life change? Would I still have time to train, create, choreograph, and work? 
And honestly, those things I'm still trying to figure out. But the pandemic came, so that question has kind of been put on hold because I'm at home and I don't need to worry about traveling right now. I don't need to worry about taking contracts. I don't need to worry about all the things that I would normally need to worry about because right now everything's locked down I'm at home and really it's just the training and creation part. And even that has been a bit challenging when it comes time to like carving out the time to, to train and, and, and get in the studio. And I've realized as my little bean gets months and months older, it's harder and harder to get anything done in the studio with her there. So the question of who am I now, the open-endedness of it prenatal, created so much anxiety for me leading into my postpartum phase where the sleep deprivation and all the other question marks and the I don't know what the fuck I'm doing came into play. There's arguably not a bigger transition for us women to go through besides childbirth and postpartum and and really learning how to be a mom. And for aerialists, it's physical, emotional, and mental. This transformation is 360 degrees, and it is wonderful, but it's a lot. So I want to send love and support across the airwaves because this transformation is not easy. We are a tough breed, but with so much out of our hands, this process can feel extremely challenging. And I struggle with being a control freak, but I know a lot of aerialists out there, we're kind of, there's a lot of similarities with some of us. People always say, oh, it's so risky. Yes, we are taking risks, but I think the thing that many of us feel more comfortable with when we're up there is that we do feel in control. And pregnancy and motherhood. It's like control is, you know, just toss it out the window. So yeah, I want to send a lot of love and support out there because I have that love and support coming from my aerial community. And I have a lot of aerial mamas in my life for you guys out there who don't necessarily, um, just know that we're with you and that our similarities in our life lifestyles that, we're here and that we understand you. So for today, thanks to Jacqueline for her insight and knowledge. And to the best baby daddy and life partner ever, Asa Watkins, for his audio and sound wizardry. And to my listeners for tuning in. You can always reach me at carrie at wrapyourheadaroundsilks.com via email. And please review and rate this podcast at five stars so that other people can more easily find me wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and see you next time on the Expecting Aerialist podcast. Mm-hmm.